Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang, Mike and Mark with you. Hope you're well. Now, Mark, as far as I know, and I've done a little digging on this, but I don't believe there's anybody in baseball history, aside from our guest today, who can say that they were a third-generation big leaguer, an all-star, a Red Sox killer, and a Yankee manager. <laughs> yeah, and I would think the Red Sox killer would probably come into play now because of the hat he's wearing, a Yankees hat, but also uh, one of the biggest moments, uh, you could say, in, in baseball history, especially with the matchup in uh, 2003 but we're excited to have Aaron Boone a former teammate of mine it's awesome to be on with you guys how you doing we're doing well hope you're well yeah pretty healthy safe everyone's good and just uh chomping at the bit hoping we can get this baby going you know yeah you bet Aaron if you don't mind want to begin with what we think from the national view anyway was was really your signature moment as a player. Mark was talking about it a moment ago. The walk-off homer in the 2003 ALCS against Boston sent you and the Yankees to the World Series. I've always wondered this, and Mark the same, maybe the media romanticizes the narrative or, or maybe you think it's real. Is there something about growing up around the game that really helps a guy prepare for a big moment like that? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, look, everyone's... Uh kind of worldview or all the experiences we've had individually, I think play a role in shaping who we become as, you know, whether it's in our profession and as players or as people. So, um, you know, I grew up in a clubhouse. Um, you know, my dad's got to the big leagues in 1972. His first full season was 73, which is the year I was born. And, you know, he retired my senior year in high school. So it, it's all I knew. Um, I was certainly comfortable, am comfortable in that environment and, and certainly shaped a lot of moments in my life and, and I'm sure helped shape a little bit how I dealt with that moment. Aaron, you, you always uh, think of that moment, uh, especially in Yankees lore and, and having to the ability to moment. And I love, uh, there's so many questions that I'd love to ask, but just take us into that uh, 11th inning uh, you're asked by Joe Torre, your manager, go out there, uh, take a whack at a knuckleballer, Tim Wakefield. Uh, just take us into what you thought, even in the in the on deck circle. Yeah, <clears throat> well, let me start. So I'm not, I'm not starting the game, um, which you know is is I'm getting my mind wrapped around that and trying to be prepared as a bench player that night when at that point I'm a regular player in my career. So I, I'm not used to that role, but I'm not in the starting lineup because I'm not having a good series. Enrique Wilson had amazing numbers against Pedro Martinez. So I'm trying to get in the moment and stay ready. And I, I know Sween knows about, you know, staying ready on the bench and being ready for a moment. I think one of the things that helped me in that game is I, I pinch ran and I think the ninth inning. Um, so in a, in a way it got me in the flow of the game. Um, you know, I had to play on defense. So, so I was, I was in the game and, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm, I knew I was leading off the inning and I'm running off the field. I know Wakefield's in the game who I've had about zero success against. And I've faced him a ton down the stretch in the regular season and in that playoff series. But I had this feeling that I was going to, I felt good. And, and as I'm walking to get my bat, Joe Torrey says to me, Hey, stay through the middle. Doesn't mean you won't go deep, but just stay through the middle. So, I, so I'm on deck getting ready, and and 
<clears throat> I was going to take a pitch, but as I'm walking to the plate, um, I'm like, you know what? Really stop, stop thinking too much about this. Get a good pitch to hit. And, and whatever that one is, happened to be the first pitch. Finally, one of those knucklers stayed up for me and didn't do a whole lot and, and, uh, and turned a rough series into a really good night. <laughs> Booney and, and, Euphoria when when you start looking at the the moment, but there was a lot of stuff that led up to that eleventh oh. inning, and it's it's fascinating to me because every game really has that, but it's magnified. It's a game seven, and and you know this. I'd love to hear your perspective now because managing the Yankees, you almost had to manage yourself when you're on the bench, uh, and you know yeah. the traits that Joe Torre had back then. Grady Little, the Red Sox manager kept Pedro Martinez in the game. Yep. It's, it's Derek Jeter leading off with, with a one-out double. Looked like it was meaningless, but you guys had the ability to come back. And then you have Bernie Williams coming through. Matsui comes through. And then Posada. And you tie the ball game 5-5. Take us into that moment because you had to manage yourself, but also was it strange because of the Pedro Martinez situation and how you guys were really snowballing into a situation like that? Yeah, let me go back even further. So, so they race out to this big lead and get to Clemens early, and Pedro's rolling along like he does. And, you know, for a minute over there, it's, it's a little bit of a deflating feeling. I mean, this is just not going – we're supposed to win game seven at home here. This is not going how we thought. Then all of a sudden, there, there are a few things that happened leading up to that inning, and it was first Giambi hit two solo homers that kind of – you know, they were big, but they were like, still were behind, but it kind of kept us in the game a little bit. The other big thing that happened in that game is they loaded the bases are about to blow the game open and Messina comes in. First relief appearance of his career. Wow. I think first and only relief appearance of his career. He comes in with the bases loaded in the middle of an inning. They told him to be ready, but it was be ready. You'll start an inning. Well, that's out the window now. You're in the middle of an inning, bases loaded. This game's about to get the doors blown off. And he gets a punch out and a double play ball. And it's like coupled with the home runs that Giambi hit. All right, we're in this game. Then all of a sudden, you know, so, so there's a there's a better feeling going on through the middle innings. Then all of a sudden, you know, we, we start that inning and they leave Pedro in. And I remember thinking – and I feel like part of the conversation on our side was he's getting tired. You know, he's, he's definitely wearing down here. And then when they left him in, it was a bit of, of a surprise. But if you, were, you go back in the offseason that year, the Red Sox intentionally didn't have a closer. They were going closer by committee that year, and which led them probably to Keith Folt the next year, who happened to be on the mound when they won it all. Uh, when they finally won the championship the next year. So they had a good pen. They had Embry and Timlin and those guys were good, but they didn't have the closer go-to guy. And I think that's part of what went into the decision a little bit is you got your ace on the mound, even though he's a little bit tired, we don't have that necessary go-to guy. He stuck with them. And, you know, next thing you know, before you could think it's a tie game and the roof's blown off this place. And, uh, and what was an epic battle the entire year of back and forth um, in that series uh, were tied going to extra innings to solve this thing. Mike alluded to your family and how important that was. 
And mm-hmm. I think it's uh, Fox brilliance and probably timing that they, uh, I think a lot of listeners don't understand this. Your older brother was in the booth at the time. His reaction to me was unbelievable because it was silence. He was trying to live that moment through you. Tell us what it was for you to, to uh, relive it with your brother after the game. Yeah. So it was cool that he was there and, you know, <clears throat> that game ends very late. So we end up going out, you know, in the, middle of the night essentially I remember going to this place where it was completely packed at I don't know what time in the morning (laughs) and so it was very cool having him there and you know he kind of talked me off the ledge a couple times in that series when it wasn't going real well so it was cool having him there you know they had the game on I don't know a few weeks ago on on one replaying it and you forget he's he's in the booth because he never said anything <laughs> I mean, literally there were three innings would go by and he might chime in with a co- comment at, at at finally at one point but he didn't say a whole lot uh in in his broadcasting debut there I love what he said afterward Aaron when he said I don't want to butcher the quote but in essence this will be one time where I'm happy to say I'm Aaron Boone's brother I know, real nice, huh? Yeah, that was a great quote. I mean, you had a magical year in in, in 2003, and, and we'll yeah. talk more about it in a moment. But, you know, the show is Major League Beginnings, and I want to take you back to your beginning. I mean, as you point out, you grow up in a house full of big leaguers. It's in your bloodline, the whole uh, nine yards. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee a future by any means for anybody. So you're drafted in 94, but we'd like to focus on when you were called up in June of 1997 with the Reds. Tell mm-hmm. us about the day. Who told you? Who'd you call first? So, uh, pretty interesting, actually. So, I, I'm, I'm in Indianapolis with our AAA team. And my brother, in this case, um, had gotten sent down the day before. And my brother was kind of an established player at that point and, and had some good years in the big leagues. Well, the Reds were having a difficult season. And my brother was struggling, so they were going to send him down for – he ended up being down less than a week, I think. But they send him down. So I played that night with him, and I think the Reds had an off day that day. But we had a game in Indianapolis. So I played third base. He played second base for the Indianapolis Indians on the night I get called up. Well, after the game, Dave Miley, our manager, calls me into the office I'm replacing Brett on the roster. So my first call up (laughs) is replacing my brother who's down there, which is weird because he's this established big leaguer who's, and so it was weird for all of us to, you know, kind of see him there. And so it was very emotional. I I mean, I broke down and cried. Brett was there, kind of comfort me, like, don't, this isn't about me. Don't think in terms of about you. This is, you've earned this right to, to get this opportunity. I'll, I'll be back in a week or in a few days to see you. Don't, don't even sweat it. And so it was obviously very emotional, you know, call my mom and dad. Um, and I just remember flying to St. Louis the next day. And, you know, at that point it was, you know, kind of a veteran laden team with the Reds and, Um, so walking into that clubhouse, you know, one of the things about having a brother on the team and in the big leagues and established was I knew a lot of those guys 
kind of because of that. So when I walk in the room with Dave Burba and John Smiley and Jeff Brantley and these very large, like I feel like I know them all pretty well. And so it was kind of a welcoming situation. I felt like that I walked into uh, when I got to Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Tony, who took you under their wing? Uh, because I, it's almost like you don't need that because you said you already had relationships, but there's always a guy that sticks out in your mind that said, man, you know what? I, it just makes me feel more comfortable going out and doing my job. Lark, you know, playing next to Larkin, um, he, you know, he absolutely was the guy that we, he, he used to call it tough love, but, uh, you know, we became very tight, very good friends and, and just playing alongside him was, you know, to get to break in alongside a hall of famer. Um, he was great to me and, and he, kind of showed me the way uh, in a lot of ways. And then, you know, and then even when, when Sween and, and Bonnie came in in 99, uh, they helped show me the way a little bit too, believe it or not, um, in, in, that, in that season. But it was Lark that definitely took me under his wing. Uh, I'd be remiss right now if I didn't follow up right there. And I think you know where <laughs> I'm going, Aaron. I, I've got to know your impression and your, your interaction with Mark Sweeney. In 99. What do you remember? The first thing I remember is, is the T. <laughs> Sweeney and, and Greg Vaughn, they were big on the T. I think it was a Merv Retman thing. The T back on the plate on the outside corner, but really deep. And they'd always work that T the other way and, and letting that thing get deep on you. Um, but they had a tremendous impact. I, I tell people this all the time. So 1999, you know, not a lot's expected of, of us in Cincinnati. And we go out and win 96 games. And I really felt like Vaughnie was one of the driving influences in that. Like he had such a such, – you know, I say like he's one of those leaders that really impacted me. And, and somebody asked me recently, who's one of the biggest, best leaders you ever played with? And, and my answer is Greg Vaughn. And, the, you know, they say a lot of guys lead by example or this and that. Vonnie was a rah-rah guy. Vonnie was very outgoing, really had a way of connecting and with, with veteran players, with younger players, people from different backgrounds. Um, he just had a way of making you feel kind of important. Plus, he led by example. You know, he was a gamer. You know, he, he strapped it on and, you know, it was about posting. And, but he really brought an attitude to our team starting in spring training and, and not a lot's expected. And we go out and win 96 games with a lot of some veteran players, Vaughn, Larkin, Pete Harnish, um, you know, Denny Nagel, but then a lot of young players that were kind of coming on the scene for the first time, and me and Sean Casey and Pokey Reese and Mike Cameron. And, and it was just this awesome blend of young and old and, guys that hung out together and spent a lot of time together. And I, I can honestly say 99, you go back to, and, and all your fond memories of little league, of college, high school, different big league season, minor league seasons. 99 is my funnest year ever playing baseball. And uh, it was filled with some ups and downs, but it was, it was so much fun. And, and Vonnie and Sween played a big part in that for me and in, in kind of the attitude they brought from San Diego coming off a, a, a World Series team. It's interesting, Boone, you say that. And I love that you gave credit to 
Greg Vaughn, because there's a lot of people that don't know about Greg Vaughn. Sometimes he was almost like he was stuffed away in different parts. And you talk about the batting tee, which I think is funny because I, I start smiling when I think of it. When you hit 50 home runs in 1998 and you use the batting tee every single day, you're going to implement that in your next venture. So that's probably why you did that. Sure. Plus, I think a guy named Tony Gwynn had a lot of influence on, on yeah. Bonnie and myself. But I, I love that you, you, you mentioned the 1998, uh, 1999 season because it was special until game 163. And I want to take you to that because Al Leiter throws a two-hit shutout the mentality of our ball club was we're going to take on anybody. We don't fear anyone. We're going to go. It was in Cincinnati. Uh, we had tough travel a day before, but it was almost like that mentality of, hey, we're going to go out and do this. Well, Al Leiter showed up. Take us through that game from your lens. Yeah, so we have the long, long rain delay on the final game of the season. And, and a lot of things that led up to that, Kevin Brown was supposed to pitch for the Dodgers, didn't pitch that final game because it was inconsequential to them against the Astros that could have altered things a little bit. Wild pitch in the 11th inning or whatever where the Mets go on to sweep the Pirates to kind of force that tie. Anyway, so we have the – I don't know how long the rain delay was in Milwaukee. I, I think we watched both, both, both sets of games in the NFL, the first – wave and then the second <laughs> wave and then our game came after was, I think it was literally a six or eight hour rain delay so we win must win we win the game and we we fly home and it was going to be a day game in Cincinnati but because our game went so late they did push it back to being a night game and and I remember one of the great things about that 99 team was our mentality like it was it was it was it was the best team of we just showed up and we're going to kick your ass. Like that was mm -hmm. how we thought. And we didn't really care if we hurt your feelings or it was just a team with this brash, probably naive swagger. We just liked playing the game and playing with each other. And I don't know if I've ever had more of a feeling that I know we're winning this game because I had that feeling. So to lose – was so disappointing because I knew we were winning that game. And one of the things that I remember about that game that just got off on a bad note, I think Alfonso hit a homer against us and then Al Leiter was doing his thing. But I remember taking the field that night and it felt like, well, it was, but it felt like October. Um, you know, it was cooler. There was a fog. There was even a mist the 15 minutes before when I ran out to to the line and ran my sprints or whatever. There was kind of this October playoff buzz in the crowd. It was just in my first time experiencing that in the big leagues. And, and that was an awesome feeling, unfortunately, that we weren't able to, to finish off. You know, Aaron, a few years after that, uh, we moved to 2003. And I know we touched on the back half of the year with the Yankee home run. But prior to that, you're having a really nice personal season. Uh, you make an all-star team. And I thought, interestingly, your brother also made the all-star team for the other side that year. What an interesting dynamic, I'd figure. What was that experience like for you and the entire family? Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was awesome. Um, so my dad was my manager at the time. So 
at that point, I, I remember it was a, I think it was a Sunday and Tim Foley, who's our third base coach. I got to the field that morning and said, Hey, your dad needs to see you. I'm like, okay. So I go in and I walked into his office and he starts crying. And at that point, I'd seen my dad maybe cry once or twice in my life. Now, now that he's my, now my dad cries all the time. <laughs> he, he cries like in this conversation, he'd be, he'd be tearing up, but he, uh, he's crying. I'm like, what, what's going on? He's like, you made the all-star team. And so, and he was bawling crying and I'm like, it, it's all right. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing feeling. And, what was really cool about it, you know, just from a personal standpoint, um, was obviously Brett was there with the Mariners, but it was about a year before my grandpa passed away, but my grandpa was in great health up to that point. So he was there, my dad was there, Brett and I, and one of the, my favorite pictures that I own is a, a picture of all of us in Chicago's, um, I think it was U.S. Cellular at that point, mm-hmm. whatever the yep. white side is. Um, there's a picture of the four of us on the field with Brett and I in our uniforms and my dad and my my grandpa there. And um, it was just really cool to share that moment with them and, and with family. Um, and, to, you know, to be a part of an all-star game was really cool. You know, I, I had a really neat uh, experience. I was in the training room, actually, and uh, – the only two two other guys at the time I was in there were Pujols and Bonds. So <laughs> Pujols is a young player at that point. He's probably – this might have been his second All-Star game, but he's a young player. And <laughs> I remember Pujols being in there and Bonds <laughs> kind of wearing him out for being in there as a young player. Like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> and Bonds, in his way, kind of wore him out. And I was just sitting there fly on the wall just like taking all this in. You know what, Booney, you mentioned uh, your grandfather, Ray. You know, we've, we've touched on Bob, your dad, also Brett, your brother Matt also played. And an interesting element to Major League Beginnings is, is our first baseball card. And, and I want to transition to that because you grew up in a baseball family, you said, you're in the clubhouse. Did you collect cards? And my other question is, do you remember your rookie card and the first time that you saw that? And what did that make you feel? Yeah. Um, of course I collected cards and there was a time in middle school or junior high school, about a three year stretch in that kind of seventh, eighth, eighth grade where it was, it was big, man. (laughs) And have, you know, sleepovers at your buddies and you trade cards. And, um, that was, that was a cool time. So that was kind of in that 1987 mode. So a lot of that Will Clark, Mark McGuire, um, uh, those kind of rookies. I remember having the the Ricky Henderson and the yellow jersey, his rookie card. Um, as far as my rookie card, yeah, I, I do. I remember, I remember it, taking it in Billings, and it's like this close up, and I'm, and I'm in a batting stance, and I've got this deadly serious look on my face, and I've got a Cincinnati Reds, the sleeveless jersey on. And I remember seeing that, and that was, uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of those steps along the way that's like a realization that, like, wow, I've been drafted. Man, I've got a baseball card. You know, 
all these things that happen along the way, man, I'm in my first big league spring training. I get to wear the one flap helmet, which was like, yeah, ever, you know, all these things and baseball card, seeing yourself on them uh, for the first time is pretty neat. All your neighbor buddies come to your house looking for you to trade uh, your family's cards. Like, Hey, can I get three Bob Boons? I'll give you a Dale Murphy. Or- <laughs> yeah. That, no, that wasn't a big card at that point. So <laughs> I remember the like Chris Brown, Will Clark, kind of 86, 87. Glenn Davis was a big rookie card at that point. So that was my, my heyday of, of baseball cards. And, and actually even there was one year in Cincinnati, might've even been 99, but it might've been a year or so after that where Demetri Young got me back into baseball cards. So I ended up buying probably another dozen like, because Demetri was really into the, you know, how they rated, the mint condition, the, the, the ratings of all of them. So I got into it for a couple months and actually bought some that I, that I still have stored away somewhere. But, yeah, I love cards. Booney, your career takes you to Cleveland, also Florida, Washington. Your final season is with the Houston Astros. And mm-hmm. you have to make a transition into what's next. And sometimes that's challenging for a lot of players, how to, to fill that void. They'll say, I want to spend time with family. I want to golf. But you chose to go into the broadcasting part of it. What went into your thought process going into there and, and who influenced you with that? Yeah. So I knew, I knew I wanted to do something right away. I just felt like in watching people, you know, I, I think, so many times you see players just, and, and I, and I totally get it and understand it, especially players that have played a long time and have the means to actually take some time off and retire. But I think you get a little bit out of sight, out of mind, and, and, and it gets hard to kind of find your niche to get back in. So it was important for me to keep going and I didn't want to just disappear and I was really kind of toying between joining a front office with a club, which I had a couple opportunities to do, or going the, the media route. Um, my, my influence was, you know, I, I think it was, you know, falling asleep with listening to the Phillies game with a radio, listening to Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn call Philly games. You know, from, from the time I was a little kid, I was always interested – in the announcing part of things too and who the announcers were and how they painted the picture and how they talked about the game. So it was something that I always kind of did. Um, not that I necessarily was, you know, set on, I'm going to join the media, but it was definitely something that I was always interested in. So had the opportunity to, to go on with ESPN and, and decided as a, current player I felt like that was the time to go do that felt like I could always go back and and get with a club the other way at some point um and I'm really glad I did because because I learned a lot I was able to stay relevant I was able to stay in the game that I love I was following it around it living it and and I loved it I I really enjoyed the craft and and you know growing on the job and getting better and eventually getting to do Sunday night baseball and call some world series on radio. Like those were, I have a lot of great memories from my days at ESPN. 
When you start looking at it too, I, I think an impact, and, and it's funny because we talked about the impact of players, but uh, you worked with Dan Shulman, one of the pros in, in this industry. Um, did he have a huge influence on, on your growth in that part? No question. Uh, matter of fact, I was, Dan's, you know, has become such a great friend in, in my life too. I was just on the phone with him like an hour ago. Um, but he, he, uh, I met him actually, um, when I was in Cleveland, he was coming to do our game and I, we struck up a conversation and, and kind of struck up a friendship from that point. And I think he was always kind of behind the scenes saying, I, Hey, I think Aaron Boo would be a good, I think to the powers to be, you know, at ESPN when he's done, I think he'd be interested. So I, my first my first year with ESPN, I got to do Monday night baseball, Dan Schulman. It was his last year doing Monday night baseball before he switched to Sunday. So here I get to break in with, with, uh, with Dan Schulman and, and Rick Sutcliffe, um, you know, pretty, pretty good group to, to jump in with and cut your teeth with. And, um, yeah. And, and then they eventually go join him on Sunday night baseball and then do World Series with him and playoffs with him for, for several years, um, we, we formed a pretty strong bond. You know, great prep, really, I would imagine, Aaron, for what it uh, would require to be a Yankees manager, you know, after the fact. Seven years in the booth, you know how to handle the media. You'd done it for years. You'd seen your family do it. Uh, but I read an interesting article um, that said just before you took that managerial job with the Yanks, you talked to a lot of managers and head coaches, Pete Carroll, guys you knew well. And I thought what was fascinating was you didn't necessarily want to know how to do it per se, but your question, at least as far as I read, was what is the job going to do to you? How will being a manager affect you? Now a handful of years in, how has it affected you? <laughs> um. I don't know. I don't know exactly how to answer that question. I can say this. I love it. Uh, I love every part of it. Um, it's been, you know, hopefully I'm starting my third year here pretty soon. Um, but the first two years, you know, we've had really good clubs. I've been totally blessed to walk into a situation where we have a great team, but it's just a great work environment. You know, I, I, I love working with and for Brian Cashman. Um, the Steinbrenner family is really great to work for. I, I love my coaches. Um, it, it should, and, and I tell people all the time, like, I love even the hard and crappy days. Like, and that's when you know you, you, you're in a place that you want to be or a job that you love is when the weeks and inevitably you're going to face those weeks that are tough, that are challenging, um, that are hard. Um, and I can honestly say I've loved coming to work every single day on the job. And, um, you know, hopefully that continues what it's done to me. You know what? I don't think I'm that much balder or grayer <laughs> or anything like that. Um, probably a little older, but you know, honestly, I, I feel in a lot of ways, like all the thing that, that thing that people imagine comes with managing, Obviously, there's some stress that comes with it at times, but I do feel like that's one thing I've been kind of cut out for. I'm, I, it doesn't overwhelm me. It, I don't really get offended by stuff or, um, you know, 
for what for what it's worth, I feel like I'm cut out to be here and handling this and, and doing this, and I love it. Booney, when you look at this job, and some people say it's a dream job. I mean, why not? The the ultimate franchise to work for. When you take on something new in anything in life, it seems to speed up, right? It, it goes too fast, whether it's your major league debut, your first at bat, all of those things. And you were prepared. We all know that you had the family and all that stuff to help you with also friends along the way. How have you slowed that down? And, and do you feel like you've really sunken into this job and say, you know what, whatever happens, I know I, I'm going to rely on my players, but I'm also going to feel very comfortable managing the greatest job in sports. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that has come over time where I would say in, in some ways it does slow down, slows down a little bit. Um, and I think as you develop the relationships you know, within the organization. So within the front office, with my coaches, with my players, you know, as you develop and grow these relationships, you start to understand them better. You start to know them better. Um, you know, I, I, from jump street and, and I don't think I'm a micromanager at all. And I, I, I think our coaches, I try to really empower our coaches to do their thing in their, in their area and, you know, part of the reason I do that is because I feel like we have really good coaches that are really good at their job. I empower them and feel comfortable in the job, I guess. Well, Aaron, a couple hundred win seasons, uh, nothing to smirk at for sure. Really wonderful accomplishments. And again, we can't thank you enough for your time. So much appreciated and best of luck when the season finally gets underway. I appreciate it, guys. It's good good to see you, and, and Swing, good to see you as always, brother. Booney, always proud of you, man, and keep doing your thing, man, because you're doing it great. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Folks, thanks again for checking out Major League Beginnings, and if you've enjoyed this conversation as much as we have, we certainly hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, any platform you choose, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and, of course, Spotify. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.